Romans chapter number 7. Let's get started with that. Um, in Romans chapter number 7, we're starting a new, a new section, starting a new section in Romans, and it's basically how the believer is free from the law, okay? A lot in Romans, we talked about how, how the law has set the stage for what Jesus came to do, okay? And uh, in Romans chapter number 7, we're kind of re- we're kind of going through a few of those things again, but, uh, but it's certainly worth doing. So the first thing we need to look at is how the law of God stands before man. It stands in two positions and needs to be understood, understood for us to, to realize why Jesus had to come. The first position is that the law is dead to believers. And secondly, that the law is alive to those in the flesh. Now here's the deal. Those of you that are believers, those of you that ask Jesus Christ into your heart, you're now dead to the law. Why? Because in Christ Jesus who came to not abolish the law, but to fulfill the law, you're no, no longer bound by the law. But to those that are in the flesh, to those that have yet to come to Jesus, they're still struggling with the law. Okay? And then another illustration that they give us right here is two marriages, okay? Marriage to the law and marriage to Christ, okay? At one time, mankind was married to the law. There was a connection to the law. But then a death happened, and now we're married to Christ, okay? And because of that, we're free from the law, and we're able to walk in the victory that comes from Christ Jesus. So let's look at uh, verses 1 through 6, Romans chapter number 7. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth, she is married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, then she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of the sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the wholeness of the law, or of the letter. So the first thing we need to, uh, uh, to do, and by the way, I want to mention, Sierra has set up a service with the bridge for you guys this summer. So we're going to have the bridge team challenge with us on a Sunday in, in July, like the last Sunday of July. I'm working out all the details with Shasta, is it? Yeah, there you go. Somebody from in here. And uh, so you guys will be with us, and we're going to have a great, great time, and that'll be fun. Okay. By the way, I, I, I'm, I'm your, your proverbial OCD, not OCD. Scatterbrain pastor. I just saw Sierra and I remembered, hey, team challenge. So let me remind you of what I just did. So back to the back to the work. Romans chapter number seven. So here's the deal. The law dominates and rules over man only as long as he lives. The law applies only to the living, has no bearing whatsoever upon the dead. A dead man is free from the law. It has no jurisdiction or power over a dead man. Two positions of the law illustrated by the law of marriage. The law is alive or active to the living, okay? The law, though, is dead or inactive when death enters the picture. Note the conclusion of the illustration. The law condemns the living who violate its demands. Death frees a person from the law. The point is clear. When death enters the picture, a person is no longer under the law, and he can no longer be condemned by the law. Death forever frees a person from the law from 
man's guilt and condemnation. So how does that apply to us? It applies to us because Jesus Christ died for us. The law demanded payment. The law proved us sinful. The law demanded that something happen, and Jesus Christ stepped up to the plate, and he took our place. He changed everything. See, the first position of the law is the glorious truth. The law is dead to you and I as believers. Scripture says that believers are dead to the law, whereas the outline states that the law is dead to believers. Both are true and are saying the same thing. Believers, you and I, are dead to the law. Therefore, the law is bound to be dead and inactive in believers. The law has no jurisdiction, power, rule, or authority over true believers. The law is a dead issue to the believer. It has nothing, very little to do with the believer. The believer is dead to the law, and the law is dead to us. It does. The law simply does not exist for the believer. This is a shock to most people, but it's exactly what the Scripture is declaring. The believer is no longer under the law and its accusing finger, no longer under its guilt and shame, condemnation and punishment, discouragement and frustration, tension and pressure, sense of failure and unworthiness. No longer are we under that now that we're in Christ. Note how this glorious truth becomes reality, though, in the life of a person. The believer is dead to the law by the body of Christ. The believer is slain or put to death in Christ. The law has nothing to say to a dead man. The believer's death in Christ is a vicarious death. He does not literally die himself, but he participates in the death of Christ spiritually. When you and I believe in Christ's death, God takes our belief and counts it to him as having died in Christ. That is, God counts the death of Christ for the death of us as believers. And because there has been a death, no longer are we bound to the law. No longer are we bound to the, 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 the penalty of the law. Jesus paid the price for that penalty. Now we are free to walk in newness of life. As believers, we are freed by the body of Christ. That is, by his slain body or his death. It's what we just celebrated on Easter Sunday. Christ redeemed the believer from the law by being a curse. Galatians 3.10. For as many as are the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. We're also set free from the law by his blood. Ephesians 1 and 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. We're also set free by his flesh, Ephesians 2.15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to him and himself between one new man of making peace. By the cross, Ephesians 2.16, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereof. See, these are all equivalent expressions. They teach the same truth. Jesus Christ bore our sins on his body upon the cross. His sufferings justified and satisfied the law. Okay? You know, in our, in our, in our, in our judicial system, there are consequences to our actions, right? As parents, there are consequences to our actions, okay? Our kids can do what they want to do, but there's consequences, right? We say, okay, if you do this, this is going to happen. If you do right, good things will happen. If you do bad, well... Not so good things happen. There 
there's consequences, where there are consequences to the law. Those consequences should have been laid upon us, but God in his grace laid them upon his son. He put them on Calvary. He nailed them to a cross. And because of that, because of the death of Jesus, we have been set free from the law. Jesus' death makes us acceptable to God and delivers us from the penalty of the law. Therefore, as believers, we are free from the law. 1 Peter 2.24 Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on that tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we were healed. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ has also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring to bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Well, that's good news right there. That's good news, guys, that no longer are we bound by the law. No, because here's the thing, guys. The law cannot be fulfilled by human flesh. The, the, if the law could be fulfilled, Jesus wouldn't have had to come. But we couldn't do it. God's standards are just way too high. Jesus came and fulfilled every one of his father's standards. In him, he knew no sin. And because of that, he fulfilled the law, thus setting us free from the penalty of the law. Here's another glorious purpose for the believer's death to the law. The believer dies to the law so that he can be united to Christ, the risen and the living Savior. Note the picture of marriage is used again. Before coming to Jesus, you you and I as believers were married to the law. We were under its rule and authority. But now, since coming to Christ, we are married and united to Christ. We are under His rule and His authority. Believers no longer live as the law says, but as Christ lived and commanded. 1 Corinthians 6.15 Know you not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid, we're using the analogy of marriage here. 2 Corinthians 11 and 2. For I am jealous over you, says the Lord, with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin, virgin rather, to Christ. You and I as believers die to the law so that we can bring forth fruit unto God. You know, I think every one of us in here want to be fruitful for the kingdom. We want to win souls. We want to minister to people. We want to be used by God. And the only way we can do that is by uniting ourselves with Christ, by realizing that it's only in Him and through Him that we can be profitable for God. The second position, verse number five of the law, is a warning. The law is alive to those in the flesh. A man in the flesh is the natural man. The man without Christ, the unsaved, the unjustified, the unregenerate man, even the backslider. That person is in the flesh. It means that a man is still under the law. And he must keep its demands and suffer its guilt and bear its punishment. No two significant points here. The law is alive and active to the man who's without Christ. It is alive and active in that it points out sin and arouses guilt within a man when he violates the law. Romans 3 and 20. By the law is the knowledge of sin. Remember what the law does. The the law points out how sharp we come. The law points out how we are wrong. The the law shows us that. And when you're outside the the blessings of God, when you walk away from the Lord, or before you knew the Lord, you were under the penalty of the law. Galatians 3.24. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us.
us under Christ that we might be justified by faith. Secondly, it is alive and active in that it arouses sinful passions or the passions of sins. The law not only points out sin, it actually arouses feelings and stirs the emotions to do the forbidden. Sinful feelings are actually wrought by the law in our members. When the law prohibits and forbids something, it actually creates within us an interest, an attraction, an appeal, a pull, or an arousal to do what is forbidden. How many have ever told your child, don't touch that? And what did they do? They touched it. Okay? And look, we, 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 it happens at such a young age, you know? What's the first word for so many kids? No. Okay? You tell them something like, yeah. Okay? And, and, you know, I mean, look, grandparents, I'm talking to you for a second. I know you think that first grandbaby was the first baby not born in the sin. Okay? But then you saw a dirty diaper and you realize there's something bad in this baby. Okay? And then they hit two years old and they went, yeah. Okay? And, uh, by the way, Zach, all of a sudden, I can't get, I can't get out of my mind that need you said of why babies don't have teeth. Okay? If you've never seen that picture, Zach will send it to you. And just picture babies with a mouthful of teeth. I, again, I'm weird like that. Okay? Zach, stop sending me those things. Okay? But, but, but what was I talking about? I was talking about how even as a child, when you, when you say, don't do this, oh, it arouses something. Ooh, maybe I want to do this. You know, think about the original sin of the garden. Adam and Eve could do anything they wanted. There was only one prohibition. God only said one thing not to do. Wouldn't you know that's what they went and did? Okay? I mean, why, why are we like that? But see, the, the law can even arouse that sometimes. There is within man something that makes him want to do what is forbidden. When we're restricted. When you get on that highway and the speed limit gets the speed limit. Or 65. I'm trying to get to four. I'm trying to make good time, okay? There's just something in us that wants to go a little faster, okay? Again, that's okay, but, but when the state trooper pulls you over, just realize there's, there's consequences and repercussions, okay? But here's the deal, guys. This is exactly what the Word of God says in Romans 7 and 5. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Galatians 5.17, for the flesh lusteth after the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to another, so you cannot do the things that you would. So the result of combating the law, of refusing to obey the law, is that one bears the fruit of sin. When a man violates the law, he bears transgressions and sin, and sin leads to death. In fact, sin deserves death. We talked about this last week, Romans 6 and 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, verse 6 says, the law is inactivated by conversion. Believers are delivered, that is, have been discharged from the law. Case dismissed. All charges have been dropped. Good news. By the death in Christ Jesus, you and I have been set free from the law. The believer, you and I, are free from the law so that we might serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. The oldness of the letter refers to the law. The newness of spirit refers to the Holy Spirit active and alive in our hearts and helping us to do the will of God. The believer's new spirit is also focused upon God and upon his relationship with God. Believers are now children of God, true members of God's
serve God in a new spirit of love, joy, peace, forgiveness, and acceptance. Romans chapter number 8 puts it this way, and we'll talk about that in the next few weeks, verses 13 through 17. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many are as led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If so that we may suffer with Him, we may also be glorified together. Amen? Second Corinthians 5 and 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's what? New creature. Old stuff has passed away. Behold, everything becomes new. That's good news, guys. We've been set free. We, we have an opportunity to put on the new man. According to Ephesians 4 and 24, Colossians 3 and 10, we have an opportunity no longer to be bound by the law, but to be set free to walk in newness of life. So let's go a little deeper. Let's, uh, let's get down a little deeper on what the purpose of the law is. Verses 7 through 13, the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is clearly pointed out in this passage. It is a passage that needs to be studied. It's a passage that we need to look out and see why the law had to come. Let's read about Ephesians, I mean, Romans chapter number 7, verses 7 through 13. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. No, if we had not known sin but by the law, or had not known lust except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, brought in me all manner of, oh, that's a tough word, concupiscence, concupiscence, I, I For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment which were, was ordained to life, I found to be unto, unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Whereof the law is holy, the commandment holy and just and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. See, the law, is the law sin? That's the question Paul asks. Is the law sin? The answer is no. The legitimate, this is a legitimate question because of what Romans has declared about the law. The law judges and condemns. The law is a ritual. Um, the law and ritual do not make a person a Christian. The law cannot make a man righteous and acceptable to God. The purpose of the law is not to save man, but to bear witness that man desperately needs the righteousness of God. The law leads man to boast in himself, in his own works of self-righteousness, not in God. The law does not justify a person. The law is not a way a person receives the promises of God. The law works wrath in that it accuses man of sin and condemns him. The law causes sin to increase and multiply. The law enslaves and brings men into bondage. The law can even arouse men to sin. Such facts as these can naturally cause a person to question, what good then is the law? Well, in verse 7, we begin to answer. The law of God reveals the facts of sin. See, apart from the law, man would be aware that some acts are wrong. Man would not be aware that some acts are wrong, such as stealing and killing. However, there would be much, there would be much that man could not know if he did not have the law. Much that he would desperately need to know in order to live a full and peaceful life. You see, the law reveals the facts of sin. The point 
is this. When a man sees the facts of sin, the fact that he is a sinner, he can correct it and do something about it. So you got to know what the laws are. I remember one time I was driving home from North Louisiana. I was in college, and I was bringing a friend of mine home who lived in Marksville, okay? Now, I knew that you could sleep through Marksville and get back on the highway, but, but apparently I made a wrong turn, okay? And I'm somewhere in this little town called Melville. How do I know it's Melville? I'll tell you later, okay? So I'm lost. I'm lost as a business, Don, and I see a, a police officer flagging me down. I said, great, he can tell me where I'm at, okay? So I pulled over, and I said, I'm so glad to see you. And he said, I don't think you will be, okay? He proceeds to tell me that I was cruising way too quickly through a school zone. I was like, how can I do that? I was slowing down because I needed to ask you a question. He said, half mile down that road is our school. And there's a school zone from here to there. And he started writing me a ticket. I got a ticket in Melville, Louisiana. I couldn't tell you where Melville is right now, Okay? Now, thankfully, after I got the ticket, he did tell me how to get back on the highway, okay? I've never gone to Melville again in my life, okay? But here's the deal. I didn't know what the law was. I didn't know there was a school down that road. I even said that. He said, oh, everybody knows around here. Well, I ain't from around here, okay? Long story short is, I didn't know the law, but I wasn't exempt from the law. You see, guys, the law of God lays down God's standard, Okay? And, and some people think they're exempt from the law. Nobody's exempt from the law. Just like I couldn't get out of the consequences of going a little too fast in Melville, Louisiana. Nobody can get through the consequences of not knowing the law of God. The law of God sets down what's right and what's wrong. Okay? You've got to know the law. And the law promotes us to do well. Okay? You remember what it was like when you were under the law before you came to Christ. You remember what it was like when, when you were... You were living in, in a way that was contrary to the will of God. You remember that. The law keeps you from going back to that. The law reveals sin. It awakens man to three facts about sin. Number one, the law reveals the fact of sin, that sin actually exists. The law awakens man to the reality and the truth of sin. Man knows that coveting is wrong because the law says, thou shalt not covet. He knows that some things are good and other things are bad because the law tells him. Without the law, we wouldn't know. We wouldn't be sure. Secondly, the law reveals the fact of man's own sin, that man is unquestionably a sinner. See, when God sets his standards up here with the law, we realize how far short we come. And thirdly, the law reveals the fact of man's sinful nature, that man is actually aroused to do some of the very things that are forbidden. It happened in the garden, and it happens all the time with you and I as well. The purpose of the law is to reveal sin so that man can correct his behavior, save himself and his world. Apart from God's law, he would not know what he needed to do to be saved. Galatians 3.24. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by the law also gives sin the opportunity to be aroused. We talked about that a little bit earlier. Note three points. It's the law that gives sin the opportunity to be aroused. The law actually stirs, awakens, arouses sin to work in all manner of evil. It's kind of like when you tell that toddler, don't touch that. He wants to touch it. You tell him, hey, don't do that. He wants to do that. Okay? Secondly, it is the man that takes and misuses the law. It is not the law that takes and misuses man. The law does not violate man. Man violates the law. It's not the law that takes man and forces him to sin. It is man that takes the law and breaks it. And then thirdly, without the law, sin was dead. 
That is, it was not alive and active. It was not guiding and directing man. It was not able to fulfill its function, which was so desperately needed. Showing man his critical need for deliverance from sin and condemnation of death. Without the law, sin is dead. But with the law, sin becomes alive. Man is able to look at the law in his true condition and see how woefully short he comes and how much he needs a Savior. That's the purpose of the law. Remember, the law was given to set the stage for Jesus. James chapter number 1, verses 14 and 15. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Almost done. The law also reveals the fact of condemnation and death. This is the major purpose of the law. Three points. A man who does not know or pays attention to the law feels alive. He's just not aware of the law. Therefore, he does not pay attention to sin. You see, as I was driving into Melville and I saw that policeman waving me down, I felt good, Greg. I'm like, good news is coming. I was so far from the truth. Okay? Because a ticket was coming. Okay? I wasn't, I was ignorant. I didn't know. Okay? There's so many people that live their life that way. You know, you, you watch some of the things you see on the news and some of the things that are promoted these days, especially in our large urban areas, and it's like, how can they be having a party at, in that? How can they be doing that? Because they don't know. <laughs> There's ignorance in that. There's bliss in that. But one day all will know. Secondly, the man who does not know God, God's law, and pays attention to it, sees sin come alive. By knowing the law, the man becomes acutely aware of sin when he breaks the law. It is the law that gives him that, that sense of guilt, that sense of judgment to come. The point is this. The law is ordained to bring life, but not in the way men think. Men think that the law was given to be kept, and that by keeping the commandments, they can earn the acceptance of God and work their way into heaven. We all know that ain't the way to go. Okay? The law, you can't not work your way into heaven. When a man really looks at the law of God, he learns his true condition. He's corrupt and destined to face condemnation and death. In learning this fact, he's driven to seek the salvation of God. Therefore, the law is not evil, but it's good. Proverbs 12, 28. In the way of righteousness is life, and in the pathway thereof there is no death. Verse 11 says, The law also reveals the deceitfulness of sin. How many know sin is so deceitful? It looks good, but it's not. Okay? You know, I like to fish, okay? And as soon as my boat gets out the uh, gets out the shop, I'm going to start fishing, okay? And one of the things about fishing is, okay, you're trying to trick the fish, okay? You're trying to get him to bite something that if he knew the consequences, he wouldn't want nothing to do with it, okay? I don't know about you, but I love gold spoons, okay? What is a gold spoon? It mimics like a little bait fish, and red fish love it, okay? You just kind of bring that thing around, and it flickers in the water, and before you know it, a red fish just can't resist, and he takes a big old bite. And when he takes that big old bite, I set the hook, Greg, and I start eating up the law. Okay? Because I, I love redfish. I love fresh fish. But here's the deal. Sin is like that. It looks so good. It looks so tempting. It's like, i got to have this. There's a hook in it. It's going to hurt you. You know? If that fish knew that by biting my lure, he was going to end up in 350-degree hot grease, he would never do it. Guys, sometimes that's why you and I have to think big picture. The enemy doesn't want you to think about the consequences of your actions. But the Lord wants you to think about it. He wants you to consider long. He wants you to think big picture. How the things that you do, you think you do in I 
isolation, it only affects you. Guys, our actions affect everybody. Amen? Our actions affect everybody. The law reveals that. The law reveals how deceitful sin can really be. Now, the law also reveals the way to God, the way to holiness, righteousness, and goodness. You see, the law is holy. It's set apart and full of purity, majesty, and glory. Set apart in that it reveals God's true nature and will. Set apart in that it exposes sin, all that is contrary to God's nature and will. The law is holy in that it is different and set apart from everything else on earth. The law is God's way of holiness, the way to live a life of holiness, the way to get to God. The law is just, righteous, fair, impartial, equitable, straight. The law treats a man exactly like he should be treated. It shows no partiality to anyone. It also reveals how a man should treat others. The law is just in that it reveals exactly how a man should live. It shows him how to live in relation to God and to his fellow man. And it judges him fairly and impartially. The law is good. It shows man how to live and tells him when he fails to live that way. It exposes his sin and demonstrates his desperate need for a Savior. The law tells man the truth about the nature of man in a most explicit way, and it points him toward the need for outside help in order to be saved. Psalms 19 and 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is true, making wise the simple. 1 Timothy 1 and 8, but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. And finally, the law shows that sin is exceedingly sinful, and it is the cause of death. Three things to remember. The law is good. It's not the cause of death. The law was given to expose sin and make men keenly aware of their position with God. The law proves that sin is against God. It's against his whole nature. It's it's against everything that he's about. So it is with every sin, whether adultery, stealing, using God's name in vain. The law was given to show how exceedingly sinful sin is. It was given to make men think of their sinful nature and condition and their desperate need for deliverance and salvation. The law was given to make men think about death. To make men keenly aware that they die because they violate the will and nature of God. Men died before the law was ever given. They died because they did not live holy and righteous lives. They died since the law has been given. But now that Jesus has come, there's a better way. Amen? No longer are we bound by the law. We, the law has set the stage for Jesus to come, and by putting our faith in him, it changes everything. Friends, we all need a Savior. The world needs a Savior. We need a Savior. We need a Savior who will deliver us from sin and its terrible consequences. The law shows man how desperate he is to be saved from death, hell, and the grave. And that's what Jesus came. He came to set us free from that. He came to fulfill every letter of the law to live the perfect life. And when we put our faith in him, it changes everything. Amen? I love the word of God that tells us in John chapter number 3, verse number 16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Lord didn't send Jesus to condemn the world, but to save the world. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? You know, I'm so glad about what God's done in my life. And here's the good news. He's not done yet. Sister Garland, he's not even done in your life yet. Okay? Donald's like, amen. Okay? 
But he's not done in Donald's life yet, and in Nick's life, and in Wick's life, and in Dawn's life, and in Cain and Alicia's, and, 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 and Miss Arlene, and all of us. God's not done with us yet. Isn't that good news? Amen? Even better news is no longer are you bound by the law, no longer are you condemned by the law. You have been set free because you put your faith in the one who came to fulfill the law, Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's take a moment just to thank him. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you, Lord God, for coming to set us free from sin, set us free from the law. God, I just thank you right now for each and every one of us that have put our faith in you, Lord. And no longer are we bound to, no longer are we bound to the law having to fulfill every little detail. But God, now it's just about us loving you. It's about us committing our life to you. It's about us drawing closer to you. It's about us being led, not by the law, but by your spirit. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you in every area of our lives. Speak to us, use us, empower us, and help us, Lord, to be instruments of blessing to this world. Lord, I just thank you, Lord, for everything that your son Jesus has done. Everything that was accomplished at the cross. Everything that we were set free from. I just say thank you. And ask your blessings over this congregation. Your blessings over these people, your blessings over those watching by Facebook. We ask that you do all these things and more. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Everybody would say, Amen.